back at it again. Break Hard Podcast, Atlanta Week, race number six of the NASCAR Cup Series calendar. I gotta be honest, guys. I'm pretty fired up over what happened today at the end of the race, uh, the end of the Cup race in Atlanta, and over what happened yesterday in the Xfinity race uh, between Noah Gragson and Daniel Hemrick. We'll get to that one later. But we're gonna start with the end of today's race, the 500 miler at Atlanta. Uh, Kyle Larson absolutely dominated, dominated the race. 269 laps led out of 325. Ultimately doesn't bring home the trophy for a number of reasons. I know it's super popular to hate on Kyle Larson right now on social media. I get it. He said a very racist word and he should have gotten dragged through the mud. Whatever. I'm not going to dispute any of that because I'm with everyone uh, in agreement that he never should say that and People shouldn't say that. But when I look at Kyle Larson, the race car driver, I'm only focusing on him as a race car driver. And he's damn good at driving race cars. So if you can, ignore everything, all the baggage. Ignore that. Just focus on Kyle Larson, the race car driver today. What we saw today was, I think, what we all expected to see out of Kyle Larson once he got into really good equipment. Um, And that was just complete and utter domination. Absolutely dominated the race and comes up short. And like I said, for a number of reasons, he came up short. Did he use his tires too much on that final run? Yes. Did they not make the right adjustments to keep up with the track? Yes. Was he the best car at the end of the race? Yes, but with a caveat. The 22 car of Joey Logano was on the lead lap. I will 100% say that. However... Late in a race like this, and I know Logano is thinking, if there's a caution that comes out, you know, maybe I can get up here and get back, you know, catch back up, stay on the lead lap, catch back up, and then maybe gain some positions on that restart if there's a late race caution. Ultimately, that didn't happen. But the 22 proceeded to just ride around on the bottom, taking away Kyle Larson's line, and with this NA18D package, the high downforce, low horsepower package that NASCAR just seemingly refuses to admit does not work 90% of the time, caused Kyle Larson to get stuck behind the 22. And now when he's stuck behind the 22, he can't get around the 22. And that all that dirty air that's now hitting the nose of Larson's car ends up just eating those front tires faster and faster and faster, and he loses grip faster and faster and faster. Obviously, you can see how that works out there. That allows the 12 car to catch up. So now Blaney catches up to the 5, uh, with about, I think, seven laps to go. Um, nine laps. Nine laps to go? Really? All right, maybe. Um, I guess nine laps to go. I thought it was closer to seven. But um, late in the race, regardless. Uh, Blaney catches up to Larson, passes him. And then what happens? The 22 immediately gets out of the way and lets the 12 go by. You know... It's manipulating a race. There's no other way to look around it. And I know people are going to say, well, Larson didn't pass Chase Elliott at the end of the, I believe, stage two to put him a lap down. Instead, he just chose to ride behind him, which is true. Is that manipulating a race? Um, It's up for debate. NASCAR doesn't have any rules against manipulating stages. And we've seen people ride behind their teammates before and do this. So I don't necessarily chalk that up because it wasn't for position where, you know, Chase wasn't holding up, or 
Larson for position, and Larson wasn't holding up anybody else for position, if that makes any sense. Obviously, it's a bit of a different scenario because Chase wasn't trying deliberately trying to slow down uh, the leader, uh, you know, or anything like that. So what Logano did essentially was slow the leader down so his teammate could pass him, and then as soon as his teammate passed him, he moved up, got out of the way. And then he also let Larson go by after that too. It's infuriating to watch because it 100% is a race manipulation, which is against the rules of NASCAR. NASCAR would never penalize or call somebody like that. They just put it on the books to discourage people from doing what MWR did. Uh, ultimately, there, there's nothing that's going to come out of this because they'll just look at it as, oh, Larson got stuck behind a lap car, which he did. I'm not disputing that. But without, without Logano holding up Larson, which, again, technically is his right, it's just the fact that as soon as the leader became his teammate, he moved up out of the way and got out of the way. That's the annoying part of all of this. And it's not the first time this has happened, clearly. So save your little Twitter fingers from being like, oh, you know, someone told you this and this. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's so annoying that people just have to always be right and be like, oh, well, Larson, whatever, shut the fuck up. But it's annoying to see it happen so blatantly like that. And without the 22 there, does the 12 catch the 5? It's debatable. I think the 5 is still able to maintain his leap, at least for more laps than, you know, what he did. Would it have, Would the 12 have got him with, like, a lap or two to go? Maybe, potentially, but, you know, there's a better chance that the 5 holds on to win the race. Ultimately, what it comes down to, for, for me, and I've said this before, if you've listened to the podcast for, for the last couple of seasons, even with Zach, I want to see the best car win the race. Was the 12 car the best car today on Sunday? No. He was the second best car. The 5 car was the best car all day. Did he win the race? No. But you can always be like, well, he wasn't the best car at the end. That's true, but I still believe that the 22 in his manipulation kind of killed the 5 car. And that also that's on Larson. I saw plenty of people like, well, Larson should have just pass the 22. You know, that's not a terrible idea. I'm sure he didn't think of it. I'm sure he never thought about passing the 22. So potentially we can tell him that next time that, you know, he can just win races by passing cars that he's trying to put a lap down. But it's not that he didn't try to pass the 22. We saw multiple times, even at the end of, I believe, stage one, he went to try to put uh, Suarez a lap down. And it's just so hard to put lap cars a lap down sometimes or, you know, people a lap down sometimes. To just see how it all played out there at the end is just... Super frustrating and disheartening because it it didn't it wasn't a race that was settled between the leaders. It was a race that was settled between a car going a lap down and the leader. In the lap down car, his teammate ultimately ended up coming out uh, on the top end with this. So that's the part that I find incredibly annoying. And I know it's Kyle Larson, so who cares? You know, nature's healing itself because Kyle Larson gave a winner away. I know, I know, I know. Just make all your jokes. If it wasn't Larson in this situation, if it was Bowman, if it was Hamlin, if it was Kyle Busch, and all of this happened, I, I'd still be incredibly annoyed by it because the end of the day, you still manipulated a race. And I can't stress that enough that the race was manipulated in the finish here. Take Kyle Larson out of the equation and put whatever driver you want in there. Logano ultimately affected the outcome of this race and then proceeded to immediately move over when his teammate captured the lead. That's where I have. That's what I have a problem with, and that's where NASCAR should have a problem with. Obviously, they won't, and I understand it just from a competition standpoint. But if you saw things like this happen, 
and other series, there would be, you know, an outcome of either there would be a meeting, a warning given, or anything like that. So it, it's just, it's frustrating. I know in Formula One, you could say, oh, there's team orders and stuff like that. It, it, I get it, but the integrity of the sport, which NASCAR has very little, but to just have things like this happen, it's, it's frustrating and it's annoying. But, you know, shout out to Blaney. Obviously, Blaney is probably the more the most likable Penske driver over there. Definitely the most likable. Not probably. He easily is the most likable Penske driver. Um, and and he gets his fifth career win. Wins at Atlanta. I think that's they said that's Ford's fifth win in a row there. Uh, so just really good run for him. Larson comes home second, uh, which is something that he's pretty much accustomed to, to doing at this point, unfortunately, for him. He and Cliff Daniels, they're just so good right now, though. I mean, he had an eight-second lead, I think, to end Stage 1 and a 10-second lead to end Stage 2. So it's frustrating that he doesn't come home with the victory just because he was clearly the best car all day. But I'm pretty sure that five car will just continue to be up there all season because they appear to be hitting on all cylinders, as they like to say. Alex Bowman comes home third. He looked really strong, um, just not as strong as those front two for majority of the day, but super solid run for that 48 car and something that Bowman definitely needed um, as the five car, you know, continues to contend each week. Hamlin comes home fourth, Kyle Busch fifth. Austin Dillon, really good run for uh, he and that RCR team. Six, Chris Buescher, another great run for he and uh, that Roush team because they definitely need it. Seventh, Willie B. Eighth, Martin Drex Jr. Ninth, and Kevin Harvick rebounded for a top ten. He had a tire go down. He was just garbage pretty much the entire first half of that race. Went a lap down, got back on the lead lap, and then uh, captured a 10th place finish. Matt Benedetto ran in the top five for a little bit today. Comes home uh, 11th, just missed out on the top ten. Ricky Stenhouse 12th. Newman, 13th, Ross Chastain, 15th, and Joey Logano, um, the second car lap down. No, first car lap down, my bad, and 15th. Daniel Suarez had his good run go to shit. Probably had a top 10 run today. Uh, finishes a lap down after getting caught speeding on pit road. The SHR cars continue to be massive, massive disappointments this season. Uh, outside of Harvick in 10th, the next uh, SHR car was 18th with Cole Custer, 20th with Eric Almarola, and 23rd with Chase Briscoe. Just bad day all around for those guys. Um, continue bad day all around for for them. Uh, Chase Elliott blew up uh, late in the race. Well, not really late in the race, but with uh, on lap 220, he blew up. And in his day, he had some front-end damage from getting caught up, uh, just rear-ending the 18 car in the wreck that ultimately put Kurt Busch out of the race when Hamlin just kind of picked him up and dumped him on a restart. Kurt Busch obviously upset about it and should have been upset in all honesty because he did, he said, we got, we fucking got ran through and he's not wrong. Like he was there, it was his position and that 11 car just picked him up and put him right out of the way into the wall into uh, Kurt Busch's day. And uh, obviously that 11 came home fourth. So I'd be frustrated too if I was Kurt. He had a top five car pretty much that entire first 113 laps that he was on the track. So, um, you know, kind of killed him there at the end, but, or, at you know, when that happened, but uh, that was at least decent speed to see out of that uh, Chip Ganassi team after they 
have pretty struggled pretty well to start the season. And Kurt was obviously pretty vocal about how bad they were on the radio last weekend in Phoenix. So good to see them rebound. Uh, Blaney winning gives us our sixth different winner in the first six races. We're still not going to hit 16 winners. Uh, I know people are like, oh, we're going to, what happens if we get more than 16 winners? We're just not. Everybody that's won so far was accounted for last year with a win outside of Kyle Larson and uh, and Michael McDowell. Uh, the 20 car of Christopher Bell, like, yeah, we pretty much had chalked him up to probably either pointing his way or winning his way in. So that's in Willie, B- Willie B won a race last year, Blaney won a race, Truex won a race. Larson obviously wasn't in the series last year, and McDowell stole a win this year. So, I mean, we're not seeing enough people come up here and win that are, you know, people we didn't expect to see win. So, like, you can still count on Hamlin, Logano, Keselowski. That puts us at 9. Harvick, if he can somehow finish, that puts us at 10. Chase Elliott's 11. Bowman's 12. And that's pretty much like your big contenders uh, right there to win a race. So, you know, realistically, we're looking at 12 to 13 winners still. I don't see us going above 13. We could potentially hit 14. Uh, but we're not getting 16, and we're certainly not going to get more than 16 different winners. So I know it's super disappointing. Fox can hype it up, and all these idiots on social can be like, oh my God, what happened? Bob, Bob Pockris, what happens if we get more than 16 winners? Who gets in then? Oh, it's exhausting. Bob's a saint. I don't know how he does it. I, it would drive me insane if I had to, if I had to do Bob's job. Um, but whatever. I feel like I'm doing a lot of complaining on social this week because it or this weekend because it's just so infuriating to watch a sport that you like and you've watched for your entire life at this point. Uh, just get just get lambasted by themselves. Like the integrity of the sport just constantly there's just not integrity. The, the it's been entertain like I've said a hundred times NASCAR is an entertainment product first, a sporting product second. And a distant second at that. And like it just never ceases to amaze me how how true that statement is and just how much of a bummer it is at the end of the day. So, I, I mean, who knows? Obviously, we just really need to get Formula One and IndyCar back because like I'm always pretty positive about those because they at least police the series how it should be policed. I'm all four boys have at it, but at some point you got to draw a line. Um, in, in, not allow certain things to happen but we'll get into that later uh there's not much else to say about this race obviously it was a typical atlanta race you had one really dominant car who ran away from everybody else and then you had a late i use late in quotations race pass for the lead um worn out surface super worn out surface just eats tires we had a one one lap restart you know, we went green, we went yellow, and one lap had to come down and put tires on because they're just killed that much. I love the old worn-out surface. I don't know how long they're going to be able to keep it around. But, you know, in the meantime, we might as well just keep... No sense in repaving it unless we absolutely need to repave it, unless it's, like, coming apart, which it kind of is with the amount of tar they put down in the seams and everything. But it's entertaining to watch. I love watching cars sideways. I like throttle management. The... You know, there was obviously some today just because there's tire wear and everybody loves tire wear. So watching these guys manhandle these race cars is what the sport needs more of. We need less full throttle, turn the wheel left and just, you know, hold on to it 
and we need more of these people, these guys out here just absolutely fighting the wheel, sawing away, working the throttle. Uh, it's it's always entertaining to watch, and um, we just need more of it if NASCAR would just give it to us. So overall, super decent Atlanta race for what it was. Uh, obviously, the outcome. I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't care necessarily who wins anymore. The older you get, the less you seem to care, at least in my opinion, who wins. I just want to see a good race. Um, still just annoyed with the how the outcome became, uh, specifically with with uh, Logano there. So Logano, as, uh, as uh, Kyle Larson said, man, I really hate Logano. I think he spoke for a big sect of NASCAR fans there when, when he said that because... Boy, it, it's just infuriating to watch how he continually puts himself in the in the way and uh, just does shit that just annoys you. And I can't wait to hear TJ Majors spin this in a positive somehow on DBC tomorrow or on Monday or Tuesday, whenever the hell they get around to it, um, is what it is. But on to the Xfinity Series race uh, at... Atlanta, sorry, I had to write down the timestamp here so I could remember something. Um, Xfinity at Atlanta, yes, let's get into it. Obviously, Justin Allgaier won. Great for Allgaier. The first win for a JRM team on a mile and a half track since 2018, I believe, when uh, Tyler Reddick, nah, yeah, 2018 when Tyler Reddick won for them at Homestead. So they get their uh, first win on a mile and a half in, fuck. Two, all, two, two years and a couple races. So, Allgaier wins, led 47 of 163. Martin Trucks Jr. in the 54 car for uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, led 103. Got a speeding penalty with 47 to go. And then uh, rebound all the way up to second and just couldn't close the gap. He got it down to like seven tenths on Allgaier, but just really couldn't get much closer than that and had to settle for second. Um, Harrison Burton comes on third. Noah Gragson, fourth with a wrecked race car. Justin All or not Justin. AJ Allmendinger, also with a wrecked race car, comes on fifth. Riley Herbst uh, in sixth. Michael Annette, seventh. Justin Haley, eighth. Daniel Hemrick, ninth. And Ryan Sieg in tenth. Oh, man. Got the NCAA tournament on Arkansas. Beat Texas Tech 68-66. to 66. Just nothing. Uh, I mean, whatever. It's Arkansas. They got to have something to celebrate because they live in Arkansas. But not that Lubbock, Texas is any better, but you know what I'm saying here. Uh, great one for Allgaier. Clearly was not the story at the end of the race. The story at the end of the race was No Gragson on pit road backing up into the 18 car while the 18 car is being serviced by their pit crew members. Uh, super dangerous situation to back up into a car with guys around it on pit lane. Uh, completely unnecessarily doing it too. And then after the race, Greg or not Gregson, Hemrick, as he should have, went down and confronted all or Gregson about this, got in his face, punches were thrown, and then L.W. Miller, who is uh, Kelly Earnhardt's husband, proceeded to try to break up the fight and then punched Hemrick in the face. And then the crew guys get around and one of the Gregson crew members had Hemrick in a headlock, and then everybody is just going at one another. Ultimately gets broken up. And, you know, Gragson is just such a little twat when it comes to things. He gets on 
the Fox broadcast because Fox, of course, jizzed their pants immediately and has to get down there and talk to Noah Gragson and laugh about him, laugh with him about what he did, which we'll get to the severity of what he did and the lack of penalty for it. And then he said, you know, I'd be mad too if I had the type of career that Daniel Hemrick has. Like, bro, you're so... you. Noah Gragson and his fans overvalue Noah Gragson's talent and skill level more than any fan base I think ever has in the world. Like maybe if Joe Graff Jr. had fans and people were like, oh my God, Joe Graff Jr. is so good, then I could like say that about him. But even his, I don't even know if he has fans. They're not even that delusional. Uh, but these Gragson fans, like, oh, this is what NASCAR wants. It's, but like he doesn't have talent. He has two Xfinity wins. One was at Daytona, which... Okay, I mean, John King has a NASCAR win at Daytona in the truck series, and no one even knows who the fuck John King is. But here we are, like, Noah Gragson has two wins. He's the next, he's a, you know, a future star in the sport. He's clearly not. He's just not anymore. But we still have to talk about him. But his two wins, they don't even equate to anything. I mean, Allgaier had three wins last year. He had more than Noah Gragson's win total. Fucking Justin Haley has three wins in the Xfinity series. And we have to sit here and talk about how Noah Gragson, oh, every week, he doesn't have the talent to be talked about as much as he's talked about. He has four wins in the NASCAR career, two in Xfinity, two in the truck series. He doesn't even have as many wins as David Starr does in NASCAR. And he's over here calling David Starr dipshit. It's just mind-boggling that we have to keep talking about this fuck all the time. So he backs into the 18, which is so dangerous. And NASCAR said, well, after reviewing the, the situation, the 18 overshot his box, which he did, and he backed up immediately. And the 18 got into his box poor, or not the 18, the 9 got into his box poorly and had to back up to straighten it out so he didn't pit outside his box. Well, everybody's completely forgetting that the box in front of the 9 car was wide open. He could have easily pulled forward and then just backed into his own box. And instead, he proceeds to back up into the nose of the 18, which, obviously, I would that would piss me off, too, if I was in that car like Hemrick. And he backs into my car while guys are, you know, changing the tires. So dangerous. So NASCAR doesn't penalize him for that. Which, that hurts my head just to begin with because it is incredibly dangerous. Um, pit road safety is something NASCAR has come a long way on. But, like, you can't have lapses like this where I don't care if it was just incidental or not. He at least needs a decent talking to at the minimum. I know he got called to the hauler, but like clearly didn't help because an hour after he got out of the hauler, he was over there, quote unquote, defending himself on Twitter with video of of what the pit stop was. And Gragson is one of those guys. He's like, um, if you spend enough time on social, if you've ever dealt with like a QAnon or MAGA person, they just deal in semantics all the time. So you can never really pin anything on them, but they're just kind of always dwelling in semantics and that's that's Gragson to a T nothing's ever his fault he's involved in everything but it's never his fault there's always an excuse for it or there's always a reason for it and it's just like man up and just take responsibility be like yeah I fucked up shouldn't have done that it's as simple simple as that as simple as that so instead then he gets into a fight with with Hamrick and NASCAR also announced there'd be no penalties for the post-race altercation which I want to see if there's going to be an altercation between drivers. It should be drivers only. And and it wasn't fair to Hemrick to get put into a headlock by one of Gragson's team members. It also wasn't fair to him to have L.W. Miller punch him in the face. And that's where I have a problem with that. L.W. Miller should be suspended from NASCAR competition for a race or two. He should not be allowed on pit road because he punched a 
another driver, and he's not even a driver. He's down there with just a hard card. Wasn't wearing a mask either because, you know, COVID's not real to not half of these people in the South. Not half, probably 75%. But it's just, it's it's infuriating that they won't, they just will not penalize this kid when he continually fucks up. And I you, we've seen penalties for things like this all the time. <sighs> I feel like I'm just doing a lot of complaining, like I said. And it's just infuriating because you just want to see things... I would love for NASCAR to be respected, but NASCAR doesn't want to be respected as a sport. And I guess like I should just give up on wanting them to be respected and just enjoy it as an entertainment product. But it's just it's just so infuriating to just continually watch this Gragson kid get everything he wants. Like his whole life has been handed to him on a silver plate, and then NASCAR continues to feed him instead of like just disciplining him. And Fox continues to cover it like it's a positive story, like they do Santino Ferrucci. And it's just like, what are we doing, man? Ah, my mouth's dry because I'm talking too much because I'm so annoyed by all of this. But whatever. So Allgaier wins. He's locked into the playoffs. He, uh, he, Cendric, and uh, Almendinger have locked themselves. And Myatt Snyder, my bad. I can't, can't forget about Myatt Snyder, who won that race at Homestead. And, you know, hasn't exactly lit the world on fire since then. Oh, we got to talk about Josh Berry, too, real quick, too. Real quick as well. He gets tagged by the 39 who got loose underneath him. Sends Berry spinning. He uh, slides, saves it, and then needs to get back out on the track instead of going down pit road. So he thinks, oh, I'll just cut across this little bit of grass right here, not realizing there's about a six-inch lip from the uh, asphalt to the to the grass turf there. Uh, in Atlanta, and he hits it, and it fucking rockets him to the moon at about a 45-degree angle, and uh, sends him flying, sends all the sod going everywhere, rips the front end of his race car off. His day is absolutely done. Destroyed his race car because he tried to go in the grass to say after he had already saved the car. And all Fox has to do is be like, look at the work of these cameramen. Just great work by our folks at Fox here to capture this. Look at the sod. And it's like... Maybe we could talk about how going in the grass absolutely destroys race cars and days when it absolutely should not do that. But hey, yeah, let's keep putting splitters on race cars because that's what they need, on stock cars at least. God, just go back to the valence. Don't know how many times I have to say that. Put the valence on these cars. We're not going to see this issue all the time. Your day shouldn't be ended after you save a car from a slide. Don't hit anything. But then you touch the grass and it just rips the front end of your car off? What are we doing? That lip at Atlanta, though, even with a valence, would have still fucked up the front of that car. Not really sure why you need that big of a lip on the on the grass, but it is what it is. So the Xfinity Series is off for the week. Next week they're off. They will rejoin at Martinsville. They're off for two weeks because we've got Easter the week after. So they're off until April 9th, which I believe is a Friday Yes, it is, because we had to get rid of the truck race in the spring at Martinsville because it needed to go to Richmond, which is fucking stupid. But whatever, I'm not going to get into that right now. It's still a sore subject. Anyway, the Xfinity Series will be a Friday night race, April 9th, from Martinsville. They'll be making two trips to Martinsville this year, so that is pretty interesting. Um, I thought Dale Jr. would enter this race, but he's not, clearly, because... What's his name? Josh Berry is in the race. This is a race we can see Barry really excel at, too. He's great at Martinsville in the uh, late model stocks, so we'll see what he can do 
uh, in the Xfinity car when they get here. Uh, but yeah, 8 o'clock FS1, April 9th. On to the truck series, though. Uh, there was an Xfinity truck doubleheader yesterday from Atlanta. Kyle Busch finally gets uh, his first truck win of the year after being beat by John Hunter Nemechek in his last outing at Las Vegas. Kyle Busch wins, led 102 of 130 laps, just dominated. John Hunter led uh, 21 laps, finished third. Austin Hill comes home second. Johnny Sauter fourth. Sheldon Creed fifth. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was pretty run-of-the-mill truck race. Uh, it was pretty interesting to see Kyle pretty basically just give John Hunter both stage wins. Obviously, that's smart. You can argue that's manipulating a race as well, which it is. However, there's no rules against manipulating stage finishes. So, you know, it's kind of a moot point uh, right now. So the, maybe a little NASCAR will revisit that. But uh, John Hunter comes away with 54 points, 34 more than uh, Johnny Sauter, who finished uh, one spot behind him, and more than Austin Hill, who finished ahead of him. So... Uh, good run for for John Hunter continues to be impressive in that four truck Austin Hill uh, and everybody at that uh, 16 truck for Shiggy Hattori they continue to look really good um, as well with their budget and their single truck team Uh, we got a lot of Overton's trucks in this race again this race wasn't like super memorable uh, from from what I can uh, recollect from yesterday I didn't take any notes on it but I do want to just point out Norm Benning finished 40th. Uh, he was parked on lap 72 for being too slow, which thank God NASCAR finally put him in the garage because he was dangerously slow there. Wrapped Camping World wrap on that truck, though. He looked great out there. Just And he was going slow enough. You could read that damn thing pretty well, too. So good on, good on him. Uh, just a lot of Overton's and, yeah, a lot of Overton trucks once again. Uh, I love to see trucks get sponsored. I'm not sure if underselling your sponsorship dollars, especially for teams like GMS, is a smart move. However, it is money in your pocket um, at the end of the day, and I don't think anybody's going to turn that down. I certainly would not either. Stuart Friesen comes home 10th. He had a pretty good run. Uh, uh, pit road penalty caught him out there, put him back there. Grant Infinger comes home 11th. Really thought he would have had a better race than what he did in the champion camping world curb records, number 98. Toyota Tundra, that's a lot of sponsors. Derek Krause looked pretty good. Once again, kind of a disappointing finish in 13th. He ran top 10, even cracked the top 5, I believe, at one point. So, uh, overall, like, kind of a run-of-the-mill truck race. Kyle Busch wins. Austin Hill on a mile and a half looked pretty impressive. And John Hunter, who we expect to be good, is up there. Johnny Sauter finishing top 5 is a bit of a surprise because he's been dog shit for the last year and a half, it feels like. Uh, Sheldon Creed, 5th. Uh, I think he's going to start to get going here soon. Obviously, we head to Bristol Dirt this weekend, this upcoming weekend, and uh, he should be pretty decent there. Zane Smith, 7th, like I said. Uh, Ross Chastain started 40th, drove all the way up to 7th. And same with Brett Moffat. He had to drop to the back after, I believe, they changed an engine right before the green flag. Uh, basically, just rolled out of the garage and onto pit road and right out onto the racetrack. He managed to get his way all the way up to 9th, and he's still running for Truck Series points, which I just don't understand, but is what it is. Spencer Davis in that 11 truck, they bought the number 8 truck from Nimco Motorsports points, so I believe we'll see that 11 truck more this season. But the Truck Series will be back in action this Saturday night from the Bristol Dirt Track, which is Bristol just covered in dirt in case you haven't heard and in case Fox hasn't just hammered that into your head for the last 
six weeks. Holy crap. Um, so yeah, truck race on dirt Saturday night, eight o'clock on FS1. Remember before that we have truck heat races. I believe they start at four o'clock. Uh, I believe they'll also be on FS1. And we also have uh, Cup Series heat races will happen, I believe, at 6.45 or 6.30, somewhere in that time range uh, on Saturday night as well before the truck race uh, for the dirt race on Sunday. The weather for Saturday looks perfect. It looks beautiful and clear and blue. And let me get my weather app open here just so I can <laughs> confirm what I already thought about what might happen at this bristol dirt race bristol tennessee give me the daily daily so yeah saturday 72 sunny skies that's going to be great for the truck series on sunday 65 with occasional rain showers considerable cloudiness uh that's not great that's not great for the cup cars on monday though it's going to be 56 with a uh, high of 56 and uh, no chance of rain. I really hope they get it in on Sunday because if they run it on Monday, it'll be a night race for sure uh, because this is a big event for, for Fox and NASCAR, and they're going to want to get this race in with the most viewers possible. So there's no way they'll run it at like noon on Monday. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm not 100% sure still how to feel about it, but I guess we'll see what happens when we get, we get, uh-oh, racing reference playing, playing uh, ads again. But it'll be interesting to see because we get practice on Friday. So I don't know what the practice schedule looks like yet. I don't believe NASCAR.com has the schedule out for that. Let's see, NASCAR on TV. So yeah, the first truck race will happen on Friday. March 26th at 3 p.m. on FS1. The Cup Series will have their first practice at 4 p.m. on FS1. The Truck Series will be back for final practice at 5.30 on FS1. And the Cup Series at 6.30 on FS1. So that is going to be super interesting to see how that plays out. Also, the iRacing Pro Invitational for NASCAR, the Bristol Dirt Race, will be happening at 7 p.m. on Fox uh, on Wednesday night, the 24th. Saturday, uh, like I said, the uh, Truck Series qualifying races will be happening at 4.30. And the Cup Series qualifying races will be happening at 6 o'clock. And then obviously the Truck Series race will be running at 8 p.m. I think it's 150 laps. It's a lot of laps. We're going to get to see real quick what this track surface is going to do. I have a feeling it's going to rubber in pretty damn fast. And it's going to be not the dirt race people are expecting it to be. Cup race is 3.30 p.m. on Fox on Saturday, which means that's probably like a 349 green flag, 250 laps. Uh, obviously, we have to make sure we started at nearly 4 o'clock in the afternoon so the West Coast audience can get in um, because, yeah, it really affects the West Coast audience when we don't start races before or at 4 o'clock, basically. Whatever. On to, uh, on to that. We also have F1 coming back this weekend. Thank God. We'll have something else to talk about. Uh, they will be in action from Bahrain this weekend. Dry to Survive Season 3 just came out on Friday night, this past Friday night. So if you want to watch that, I re highly recommend it. It's if you're, a, like, if you're an F1 fan who's been watching it since basically you were a child like I have been, you'll find it infuriating that they don't follow the calendar in chronological order. 
episode one is about like COVID and getting to Australia and bouncing out, even though they really don't talk that much about how F1 really fucked up on that situation, but we won't get into that right now. Episode two is the first race back, the Austrian Grand Prix, which was round one last year. Episode three is round 10. Episode four is round eight. And episode five is round two. So, like, you need your Charlie Day wall with yarn running each and every direction to keep up with this whole thing. But it's highly entertaining. Definitely recommend watching it and uh, tune in for the start of the season this weekend on ESPN. I don't believe they have their schedule, their TV schedule out just yet for that. So check back in. Uh, I'll definitely tweet it out this week on Twitter, which brings me to this. You can follow us on Twitter at breakhard underscore. You can follow Zach at Zach Miles two. And maybe Emily will be back next week. Uh, she's writing a paper tonight, so we couldn't get her great insights um, once again. So, We'll be back next week to recap the Bristol Dirt Race if it's done running by the time I normally record this because holy shit, I have a feeling that may take forever with all the cautions and just the race in general. And we'll recap what happens in the F1 race because F1's back. Is Mercedes as bad as they say? Uh, I doubt it, but I guess we're going to find out real quick. All right, see you guys next week.